Hello, everybody. How are you doing? It's Jim Maysano. Welcome to College Hoops Chat. I'm your host. Uh, this is a weekly basketball radio show here at the great radio station WVOX, 1460 AM in New Rochelle, New York. Thanks for tuning in, and thanks for being part of the show. We got two guests coming up today, Pat Kennedy, former coach of Iona University, although it was called Iona College back then. Uh, he also coached Florida State and Montana and Pace uh, and Towson. Pat coached all over the place, and uh, he's always a great guest on our show. And after that, Mike Surrett, who hosts a website called The Providence Crier, talk a little Providence and the Big East. Okay, so until our first guest uh, calls in, Pat Kennedy, let's talk about a couple of things. So number one, uh, Iona University had a fabulous weekend. They played two games uh, against uh, Buffalo area teams, Canisius and Niagara. Friday night was Niagara. They won 78 to 56. And Sunday uh, against Canisius, they won 90 to 60. So two kind of blowouts. And basically what happened in both games was identical. Beginning of the game was a little slow. Iona was kind of finding its uh, pace and finding its place in the game. And then Coach Patino decided to put on the press. And once Iona started pressing the ball, they took off. I went on a run, took a big lead, and held it for the whole game. A lot of guys played very well. The, um, on the Friday night game, uh, Dennis Jenkins was ridiculously great. Best game of his career with 31 points. It was a really interesting game where Iona shot the ball very well, and Niagara didn't because Iona's defense was so good. Also in the two games, you had the emergence of Osborne Shima. He's a seven-footer for Iona. I'm coming off the bench... Uh, kind of a slow start to his career, but he's starting now because there's an injury, Quinn Slazinski, and uh, Osborne Shima has replaced him. Seven points and seven rebounds on Friday, and then on Sunday, he had eight points and seven rebounds. So this is a key player, a seven-foot player for Iona coming into his own. So really interesting game. Sunday was basically a blot for the whole game. We were a lot more chit-chatting in the stands than normal because we were so far ahead. Uh, but we'll talk about Iona with Coach Kennedy when he calls. I have a lot of other things I want to talk about. The only other thing I want to mention, though, is that uh, Steve Maciello, who used to coach at Manhattan, is now uh, a, an assistant coach uh, with Iona. He's got a title and everything now, Director of Basketball Operations. That's former Manhattan coach uh, Steve Maciello. So he's an uh, official coach now with Iona, coaching for Rick Pitino. All right, some games I want to talk about kind of have a local touch to them. Marquette, Big East team, had a game last week at home against Baylor. And all I read for days for that was, you got to tune in to see how great Baylor is. Check this game out. Baylor is great. Well, I watched the game, and all I found out was Marquette was great. Marquette blew Baylor off the court, despite the fact the college basketball media was all raving about Baylor. 96-70, to 70, a blowout, one of the top teams in the country. Keep an eye on Marquette in the Big East. When their defense gets going, they're really good. All right, Kevin Willett for my own college coach, former Seton Hall coach. We all know in this area that he's an excellent coach. Well, he's down at Maryland now. He's got them 8-0, uh, Associated Press number 13, Ken Palm number 19. So they started 56 at a, at, on Ken Palm, which means that they're really uh, jumping up in the rankings, Maryland. 
They beat St. Louis, who's a really good team. They beat Miami, who's a really good team. They beat Illinois, who's an excellent team. This is a really good team that Kevin Willard uh, has at Maryland, and he turned them around really fast. Although, coming up soon, you have Wisconsin, Tennessee, and UCLA from Maryland. Those are really, really tough games. We'll see how that goes. And the one other game I wanted to mention was Rutgers. Uh, Rutgers had a kind of an easy schedule to start the season, but um, they beat Indiana on Saturday, okay? So they had lost to Temple in Miami. Uh, they had a lot of easy games, but this week Rutgers really kind of pulled away and beat Indiana on Saturday, 63-48. Indiana's a top-10 team. So Rutgers, one of our local area teams, uh, had a great game. Another team... Uh, to keep an eye on. Uh, Chuck, do we have our caller? We do. All right, so let me go to the phone line. Is this former coach Pat Kennedy? Hey, Jim. Yes, it is, buddy. How you doing? Great. Thank you so much for calling in. Uh, I, I hope this makes you feel happy. When I go to Stop and Shop in New Rochelle, someone usually stops me and says, when's Pat Kennedy coming back on the show? <laughs> well, that's, that's so nice. You know how much we love New Rochelle and whole I own a community, so it's great to be back uh, with you guys for basketball season. Great. Great to have you. All right, so I have a, a bunch of Pat Kennedy questions. So first, I have coach questions for you uh, that you explain better than anyone. Then we'll do some uh, chatting about where I own is at this year. How about that? Great. Whatever you want. Okay. So the first thing I wanted to ask you about was we got a, a month uh, done now in college basketball. Anything you're noticing? little different? little twist? This season different than other seasons. You've been around a long time with this sport. Anything you're noticing early this season that stands out? Yeah, I think a, a major thing, which is a great thing for the fans to realize and watch and analyze for themselves, is the, the effect of the portal. I mean, North Carolina, number one in the country, just lost four games in a row. They lose on the road handily to Virginia Tech. Uh, you go back and you analyze all these teams, and it's all a matter of who did they get from the portal, how many of their kids left and went somewhere else. As a coach, like, for example, when I was at Iona, we had uh, Rory Grimes, Stevie Burke, Tony Hargraves, uh, Springer, uh, Truesdale, Coleman. We had all those kids for four years. And that's why for four years we averaged 23 wins a year. Uh, you know, now that, that's like a Tim Kluse level of winning. And even with Tim Kluse, he had the same kids for all those continual years. So I think what we're seeing now, everybody's saying, well, why are all these teams picked to be so high and they keep losing? It's really the effect of the portal. So that's the main thing we're seeing here early in the season. Listen, look, Iona's got a couple of guys that transferred in this year that were four-star players at power conference teams, but they were sitting on the bench. They were the 11th guy, and they said, why would I sit on the bench when I can go play somewhere else? That's happening all over the country, Pat. Absolutely. And so what kids are looking for like, which is a great thing for Iona, hey, I can go play for Rick Pitino. So why am I going to sit on a bench for somebody else, you know, and, and, and not want to go play for, for Rick Pitino? And, um, you know, so you see that happening everywhere. You also see now that the schools are recruiting kids. In other words, the assistant coaches are watching kids at different schools. So you'll see a kid who becomes a great player at Syracuse, and he used to play at Southern Utah. And you're saying, how did Syracuse pick up a kid from Southern Utah? That meant that one of the assistants was watching the videotape and went back to Jim Bam and said, Jim, forget where this kid is. He's really good. And so as a result, they would then go ahead and take the kid. Right, right. It's happening all over the country. and It's going to keep happening every year. 
Uh, so it's very interesting. Let me ask you a question. In your travels, did you ever coach against or meet T.J. Otzelberger? He's a coach now at Iowa State. No. You know, there's a lot of those. Uh, and I mean this sincerely. You know, when I was at DePaul, uh, I was in the Midwest. So I got to know, you know, some of the guys who were from Iowa, Nebraska, North Dakota, South Dakota. And a lot of them are normally Midwest guys, somewhat normally connected to uh, the city of Chicago or the other Midwest cities like Detroit or, or, um, or, or Cleveland. But, no, I never got a chance to meet him directly. Well, I only mentioned him. Again, I'm a fan, diehard fan. You're a coach. I watched St. John's play Iowa State, and I don't, I'm not looking to pick on the St. John's coach, Mike Anderson. He's a good coach and a good guy. But it was a coaching clinic by T.J. Otzelberger. You could see, watching that game, that T.J. had his team completely ready for everything that St. John's threw at him. Uh, you know, St. John's likes to press. They like to say they do 40 minutes of hell. He was he broke the press every single time. They So talk about how a coach, can, when he's got some time, can totally prepare for a particular team. Because I just saw a coaching clinic by this T.J. Otzelberger at Iowa State yesterday. Well, you know, a lot of the Midwestern coaches are very much underrated. Uh, watch the University of Texas. Watch Houston with Kelvin Sampson, who came out of Montana. Uh, you know, people don't realize we always think of the game as being an East Coast game, D.C., Philly, New York, Boston. But that's not true. You get out to the Midwest and you see the Indianas and Louisvilles, and Kentuckys, et cetera, et cetera. Doesn't matter what it is, those people can really coach. So you see guys that come from North Dakota, South Dakota State. Uh, like, how about the coach of Creighton? How good is he? Great. He's probably one of the top five coaches in the country. So, yeah, you come to realize that, uh, and even when I was in the Northwest when I coached in Montana, I mean, we played St. Mary's, and we, we, we played, we lost to Gonzaga at home at Montana by one point. And who was the coach then? Well, a young guy named Mark Few. <laughs> wow, pretty great so, coach. Well, I would think so, as good as any in the country. So, Pat, how does a coach when you're preparing for a game, clearly T.J. Altsberger came with a plan where Iowa State would beat the break every time they came down, which put St. John's at a real disadvantage because they like to get deflections, they like to get steals off the press, and then his defense was better than St. John's uh, because they were pretty much just out of play St. John's doing a half-court offense. Well, how do you develop a game plan like that? Well, it's a lot of what you do in the in the video room. And your assistant coaches have a lot to do with that. If you maybe have one assistant who really specializes in defense, another guy who may specialize in some offensive work. Uh, but ultimately, it's you, the head coach, who makes the determinations, right? You've got to decide, okay, you know what? If they beat us here, we're going to have to switch to a zone. Uh, if they beat us here, we're going to have to switch to a combination. So there's a lot of different things that you have to look at when you're preparing for a game. Uh, this team likes to run these double screens, Staggered doubles. Well, you know what? Instead of chasing them, let's switch. So there's there's a lot of work to it, you know, and and that's uh, that's all coaching. It's all coaching. It really is. All right. So let's st- so since we just mentioned St. John's, and we're not picking on St. John's tonight because I I like St. John's in New York area school. Although Pat will tell you they were scared to play Iona back when Pat was coaching uh, at uh, Iona. St. John's didn't want to go anywhere near Iona back in the Valvano Kennedy days. Well, you don't even have to say that, Pat. I'll say it for you. Thank you. <laughs> so, you know, St. John's basically scheduled a cupcake schedule. It was a pretty easy schedule. 
And then they got to play Iowa State, and they had a tough night yesterday. Other teams, like Rick Pitino, is scheduling a pretty hard schedule for Iona early. What's your thoughts? I know scheduling is an art. I know it's really hard for coaches and assistant coaches to come up with a non-conference schedule. What are your, what's your take on whether you play harder teams or more cupcake games or a mixture? Now that you see where we are, modern-day college basketball, what's your thoughts? Well, you have to structure your schedule to try to make the NCAA tournament, period. And so if you think, like, for example, I know Rick wanted to go play teams outside uh, of their conference that could possibly win theirs, like Hofstra and Santa Clara. The only thing with those two teams, it kind of backfired because they lost to both of them. So that kind of hurts their at-large type uh, scenario. But you got to do that. Uh, well, gosh, when I was there, we played Louisville, Kansas, Virginia Tech, Arizona State, uh, Georgia Tech. We would do this. It was no, It's not really much different now than it was when we were there. Right. I mean, we were trying to design, we were trying to design a schedule that said, hey, if we have a super-duper year, Maybe we become an at-large uh, a bit. And, you know, I think that's the thing that Rick's probably grappling with. You know, can you ever become an at-large uh, uh, team coming out of the MAAC? Um, now, you can do that coming out of the uh, Atlantic 10. Uh, you might be able to do that coming out of the CAA. But coming out of the MAC, because your lower four or five teams are always going to be low with their uh, power ratings, is going to be very, very difficult. So, Every coach tries to now, hey, if your coach is in trouble, you try to schedule a lot of lot of easy games early on, you know. Right. Interesting, Pat. I, love, I like how you said that. You do your schedule to get your team into the NCAA tournament. I like it. All right. I want to change the subject because another school that you coached at and did a great job at and brought them to the NCAA tournament, uh, I'm going to name three schools that you have played in your life as, as a head coach or an assistant coach that used to be dominant. And they're not right now. They're really struggling. Frankly, they're kind of falling apart. And so, and I know, I know you coach at one. Florida State, Louisville, Georgetown. Is it weird for you to see where those teams are at right now? You know, it's uh, it kind of breaks your heart a little bit. Uh, people, you know, because now you look at the younger kids coming up, they're being recruited, or younger high school coaches. They don't even know the name Denny Crum, right? I mean, Denny right. Crum is not a Hall of Fame coach. He's a national championship coach. Denny Crum's teams and programs were so good uh, at Louisville every single year, even better than when Rick was there. Um, and and then uh, you know then they they kind of went on a little downfall, and then Rick brought him back up again. So for the modern day uh, athlete coaches to look at them and see this one or zero and nine start, it's almost like uh, inconceivable. Uh, and I really feel, excuse me, for their, for their new head coach because he's a wonderful guy. He was a great player there, Kenny Payne. I coach against Kenny. Um, but hey, when you you start paying guys four or five million dollars, and the team becomes this this bad, uh, you know, you can be upset about it and say, "Oh, give the guy another four or five years." They're not going to do it. <laughs> so, right. What know, about Florida can, State, you your beat. old school there, and they have a great coach that took them NCAA tournament a bunch of times. What's happening there? Well, it's a totally different situation. Leonard's been here 20 years, and Sweet 16 and Final Eight. Now, Kenny Payne's not even had a win yet. So, right. uh, and Leonard's Leonard's 73. Kenny Payne's in his early 50s. So, right. Uh, and Leonard's Leonard's been decimated with uh, injuries. Okay. Uh, Leonard's Leonard's uh, lost six kids to injuries. So, Jeff Rulin went through that at Iona, 
and that was the year in which he went for four and 22. The question is, can you sustain one of those seasons and keep your job? Now, Leonard, it doesn't matter. Leonard will retire, and they'll name the court after him. Kenny Payne, uh, they may give him one more year, but if he can't show that he can coach at that level, it's almost like Hubert Davis now. They're going to be over him in North Carolina. They don't accept losing, uh, especially when you have uh, that kind of money you're making. It's true. And um, the one thing, the only, everybody says Kenny Payne's a great guy. Everybody says he'll do a great job. The only thing I would say as a criticism is he got hired in March. He had a lot of time to get into that transfer portal and didn't. And I guess maybe they had trouble getting kids because of the NCAA investigation. But you can't tell me they couldn't have found some kids in the transfer portal to go to Louisville. Uh, you can't tell me that, Pat. Yeah, that's just all, Coach. So that's like when I listen to Seth Greenberg, you know, Seth is always going to protect the coach. Right. You know, so when I hear him on, on ESPN say, oh, Kenny Payne this, Kenny Payne that, in all reality, that's, that's just not true. And Seth doesn't know that per se. And Seth does a great job. But, you know, at the same time, you know, the guy's got to show himself as a guy who can coach. Uh, and right now, that's not happening. Right. All right, Pat, let's change for the last three or four minutes. Uh, I think by any objective standard, the Iona University Gales had a great weekend with the two teams from the Buffalo area coming in, two blowout wins, and they played very, very well. Yeah, I think the great thing about Rick's team right now, which I think will carry them to the championship and then the NCAA tournament, it reminds me of almost Burt and Springer. They have a great one-two punch. The kid Clayton is a tremendous guard, and Joseph, I, I love them from the first day I saw him. So you got a kid like Clayton who can score uh, tremendously well and is a good overall player at the guard spot. And then you obviously got Joseph, who's probably the best interior player in the league. So right now, when you take a look at those two guys and Rick's ability to coach, and they've got a nice supporting staff, uh, I think they're still going to end up becoming the team to beat. I don't know much about Quinnipiac, but I, I look at scores every day and every night. Quinnipiac has shown themselves as a pretty tough team. But let me say this, Jim. It, it's, it's not easy to win any games in the MAC by 20 or 30 points. For, so for the Gales to come out and win these games the way they won them this weekend, uh, I think is a great sign for this team. It is. Pat, you know it's interesting? Both games, uh, Rick's because he's a little concerned about his bench, he... Um, kind of waits to, to let his press go. You know, Rick loves to do full-court press. But in both games, the game was kind of close. Both teams were kind of knocking around. Rick Pitino turned on the press, and next thing you know, they're up by 10, 15 points, leading to 20 or 25-point leads. That press of Iona is such a difference maker. Yeah, and again, Rick is very comfortable in the press. Some coaches just don't go to the press because they're really not great at coaching the press or they don't believe it. When you press, you have to believe in the press. Otherwise, it's just like it's like uh, blitzing in football. If you don't believe in a blitz, you can't really do it effectively. Uh, but Rick is it was always a terrific uh, pressing coach. Uh, and I th it looks like this, this year's team, if they have the depth as they go forward, will be a very good pressing team as well. Really, it's, it such, makes such a difference. You know, the only interesting thing is they got Quinn Slazinski, the power forward, who's another, you know, strong player for the team. He's out right now. Hopefully he'll get back soon. But um, the guy that everybody's talking about, Pat, I'm sure you've seen him now, is this Dennis Jenkins. On Friday night, did you see his stat line, Pat? He had 31 points against Niagara, four rebounds, five assists, three steals, 
and three blocks. That's a heck of a stat line, Coach Kennedy. Oh, that's a, that's a big-time stat line. And, again, to go along with Clayton and Joseph, if guys like that start stepping up and playing at that level, uh, then they're going to be a very, very tough team to beat come March. They really will. This team is all Rick's guys. He brought this entire team in. They play his style. I, I like this Iona team. Excited for them. They still got some rough ones coming up, like tomorrow night against St. Louis, who's uh, very close to a top 25 team, Pat. Oh, yeah, no, their, their next four or five games are tough, so the people shouldn't get down by any means on They could end up being eight and four or seven and five or whatever and still be an in-state tournament level team. All right, Pat, perfect way to end your segment. Thank you for being on the show, Pat. We'll have you on again for some more of your expert commentary. Thank you so much. Love being with you guys. Go Gales. Thanks, thanks. Go Gales. Thanks, Pat Kennedy. All right, go to the commercial break, and then we'll be right back for our next segment. I'm Jim Massano. We love that basketball. They're playing Okay, basketball. folks, we are back on College Hoops Chat. I'm your host, Jim Maceno, and we're going to the phone line right now to chat with the uh, guy who runs the Providence Crier website. His name is Mike Soretti. He was on the show last year as well. Mike is back. Hello, Mike. Are you there? Yes, Jim, I'm here. How, how you doing? Great. Thank you so much for calling. Tell everybody about your website so they can go out and find it. Yeah, uh, ProvidenceCrier.com is, you know, a, a blog that I started for Providence Fires Hoops about six years ago, I want to say. Um, started up a podcast about, we're in our fourth season with that. And, um, yeah, just a uh, PC grad that just loves his, his hoops. So uh, we talked PC and we talked the rest of the Big East. So. Well, last year you had an awful lot of great things to write about. It was kind of an historic season. Maybe not as good as the Final Four season, but an all-time season in the history of the Providence basketball program, uh, including singing Taylor Swift songs all over the arena. I imagine you were singing too. Uh, Friar Nation was so happy last year. Friar Nation isn't so happy so far this year. No, I mean, so certainly last season um, was definitely a magical season, if you will, for the Friars. First Sweet 16 appearance in, in 20 years, so, um, you know, certainly, excuse me, 25 years. So certainly a really good season for PC, and in the off season they look to build upon that by hitting the portal like most teams do these days. And, um, you know, they found some guys, but certainly so far this season they're 6-3. and three. They've All their wins are against, you know, lackluster programs, and uh, the three games that they play quality opponents in, in Miami, St. Louis, and um, in TCU, they end up dropping all three. So, you know, they're trying to figure each other out and, and learn each other, but, you know, it's a long season, so we'll see what happens. It is a long season, and look, last year, I think it's fair to say, as someone who does root for Providence, because Kenny from Rye is my buddy who does this show with me, uh, as you know, and he's a Providence grad. Um, I saw I was really happy for Providence last year. But, you know, it was one of those seasons where every decision they made worked. Every transfer, Manaya and uh, Durham, they all just clicked. They, were, they, they, they had a great re- re- returning cast. This season you did lose a lot. You lost an awful lot from last year. Certainly. Um, you know, it just seemed like with the transfer additions last year, it was just such a perfect fit. Everyone had their role defined, uh, and they really just played as one cohesive unit. 
Now, this year, you know, they had a guy like Bryce Hopkins, who was a top 50 recruit that originally played at Kentucky. Um, he didn't get much time in his first year uh, with the Wildcats, but, but now he's here, and he's, he's putting up big numbers for the Friars so far. So fans are certainly excited about him. You know, another guy they added, Devin Carter, um, a guard from South Carolina, going after Frank Martin's players again with Manaya the year before, Carter this year. Um, he's an athletic guard that, that can get downhill and score at the rim. Um, and then you got some holdovers from last year's team. Jared Bynum certainly played a massive role um, in PC success and bailed them out of a handful of games last year. So, you know, they added a lot of talent. Um, they had a few holdovers, but yeah, for sure. I mean, there's no doubt about it that they certainly lost a lot, and especially when you think about chemistry and team fit. So. I agree. So first of all, I want to tell you, Mike, and I tell this to Kenny from Rye as well, I'm not happy with you Friars for taking Devin Carter because uh, my son goes to the University of South Carolina. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know what? Now I remember. You were, you were mad about us taking Manai. No, I Devin Carter. Two years I mean... in a row, Mike. Come on. What are you doing at my son's <laughs> school? Well, the problem is, Ed Cooley said that uh, anyone coached by Frank Martin, he would take on his team. So luckily, Frank Martin's no longer in South Carolina, and now he's at UMass. So hopefully that problem doesn't happen again. Yeah, I hope not. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm just teasing you. Uh, he's a nice player, though. He was a freshman last year at South Carolina. Probably saw him play 20 games. You're right, he can get to the hole. Uh, he can shoot uh, pretty good on the D. Uh, that is a player you can build around at Providence. Yeah, for sure. Him and Hopkins. I mean, Hopkins is is kind of a special player because he's, you know, he's a real hybrid forward that that Cooley just loves to use um, throughout his history. He's had guys that are, you know, a little undersized to play the four, but oversized to play the three, um, but but can you know be a matchup nightmare. So Hopkins certainly, and then yeah, Carter's you know brings the defense, which is huge, um, and is definitely a slashing guard. Um, so you know. Uh, again, I think they brought in plenty of talent. It's just a matter of making it work. And, um, you know, we saw last year several teams got off the slow starts and, and then picked it up. So you really never know. Um, True. You know, I think schedule-wise, Cooley scheduled, you know, kind of an easier schedule. They had the, the tournament at Mohegan Sun, and they played on the road at TCU, who was preseason ranked before having a bad loss early in the season. Um, so, I, you know, I think that was intentional. But, again, you never know. Last year they played um, St. Peter's, and I remember being upset that they only won by 13 points. We all know what St. Peter's did last year. So, exactly. You don't know. Um, the you weird know, thing we'll, about we'll your see. season, though, is that you're 6-3, and three, which doesn't look too bad on paper, and you got two games coming up, Manhattan, Albany, winnable games. You'll probably win those. So, I, I, so you'll be 8-3. and three. That'll look pretty good. The problem for Providence is you haven't beaten anybody good. As a matter of fact, the highest Ken Palm ranking for any team you beat is 183. That means it's in the second half uh, of the teams in the nation, everybody you beat. So you're going to have to get some good wins, but starting December 17th with Seton Hall, you got a lot of Big East games coming up, a lot of chance to get good wins. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, I think that's kind of the hope um, when they made the schedule was, you know, have a couple challenges, but for the most part, have easier opponents where you can kind of get the team to gel. Um, you know, what, you look at the, the two upcoming opponents in Manhattan and uh, Albany, two teams that are, that are going to be quad four 
opportunities. So Providence really can't afford to lose those games. Um, but but I'm feeling confident that that. that that they can uh, wrap up the non-conference eight and three, and like I said, the Big East is always full of quality opponents, quality games. Um, you know, the, the the net came out today, and Providence finds themselves at one forty-five. Similar spots they found themselves two years ago when I got off to a slow start, and then heated up before you know COVID canceled the tournament. But um, you know, you're looking at the Big East. UConn is certainly. Risen to the top here. They're off to a nine and zero start. Perfect. Creighton, who has had Final Four aspirations, was playing good early on, but they dropped a couple in a, uh, a couple recently. So, you know, those are the two teams in terms of big, big wins. But then you look at St. John's; they're out to an eight and one start. Um, I really like their big three, but uh, I'm going to be honest. You know, some people might not want to hear this, but with St. John's, it's like. Last year they had Champagne in Posh, and I picked them to finish second, and they burned me. So I don't know if I can trust them, but but they're off to a hot start. And then you look at a Marquette team that that was able to knock off Baylor at home, and then they they, they just lost a close one uh, to in-state rival Wisconsin. They're another good team. The Xavier Musketeer, Sean Miller, returns there uh, after his stint with Arizona, and. You know they're only six and three, but I think they're going to be a dangerous team as well. And then you mentioned Seton Hall, and hey, I've even talked about Villanova, who, who's sitting at uh, three and five or, or four and five or whatever at this point. But you know they just got an All American back, so who knows? You know, I agree. there's just plenty of opportunity for, for all these teams, really. All right, with, so with let's the zero in. Few. Let's zero in before you leave. We got a couple yeah. of minutes. Uh, so what, I've watched a lot of Big East in the first month. And my take is there's a lot of very good teams. There's only one or two great teams. I, if I, and, I, and by the way, I'm now hedging on one of the great teams because they've lost three, and that's Creighton. But UConn is having a fabulous year. They are not only winning their games, but they're most often blowing out their opponents. I keep hearing about the great defense. I keep hearing about the great depth. I've only seen highlights. I haven't seen a full UConn game. Mistake on my part. But tell me what you're seeing with UConn. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, I, I personally picked them to finish fourth going into the season in the Big East behind the Friars. I, I thought PC w- would kind of be able to avoid the whole chemistry, getting to know each other uh, aspect of it like they did last year. Unfortunately, that's not been the case. But, you know, the reason I picked UConn at four is, you know, the two guys they got in the portal in uh, Aline, a Virginia Tech guard, and then Tristan Newton, they went into their their old uh, American Conference roots. I, I wasn't totally sold on them replacing a, a Tyrese Martin and a um, and RJ Cole, and you know, so far that's been proven true. I mean, Aline's been kind of a disappointment for them. Newton, on the other hand, is third in the team in scoring, but he's been kind of boomer bust. For me, though, with them, it's it's you got Sonogo, who's who's clearly living up to his. Yes, Adam Sonogo, oh. center playing great, and Jordan Hawkins, right? That's the other one. Yeah, exactly. And Jordan Hopkins, uh, uh, Hawkins has finally broken out for the Huskies. So, um, you know, you look at them; they can guard. Uh, they've been very good from three. And, you know, they have a lot of depth. So, so that's a pretty good recipe. And, and right, they've Mike. certainly showed that. You have the last word. Thank you so much for calling the show. We appreciate it. Uh, thanks for being a friend of the show. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to commercial break. We'll be right back, folks. Bye.
Okay, folks, we're back on College Hoops Chat. I'm Jim Massano, your host, and I believe we have our number one caller on the line, Kenny from Rye. Kenny, are you there? James, how are we doing? Good, thanks. So I was just chatting with Mike about UConn, and uh, what a very interesting season so far for UConn. I mean, I think everybody's kind of shocked uh, by how good they are uh, this early in the season. I have to tell you, didn't think they'd be like you know fourth or fifth in the nation this year. Uh, but here we are, 9-0, and and the crazy thing about UConn is they don't just win. They blow out their opponents, and not just cupcake by-game teams, you know, blowing out Oregon, blowing out Alabama, blowing out Iowa State. Uh, they're a really strong team. You look on paper, Kenny from Rye, and, um, it's you know, there's some, you know, you, it's hard to know exactly why UConn is playing so well on the athletics. But they have great depth and they have great D, and that combination is really strong. Yeah, it's interesting how you mentioned uh, with your former caller there, our friend from the Providence Crier, how last year everything worked from the standpoint of the people that came in to the Providence College Friars and, and brought them to the Sweet 16. And, you know, UConn had a lot of changes this year, and obviously he didn't like particularly what he had last year as they underperformed. But every move he made this year, for that roster that was finished, you know, predicted to finish, you know, fourth or fifth, third, fourth or fifth in the Big East, has been spot on. I mean, as you say, they're not they're not just getting by; they're beating teams handily. No question. And you know, I took a look basically at the analytics on the team before the show, and you know, they're they're everyone's saying they have a great D, and it's clearly they're hard. They they're very tough on ball defenders. It's very hard to shoot against this team. So, you know, Iona's kind of strength is the press, right? But not UConn. Their press is on-ball, half-court defense. You can't get a shot off against them. They're very steady. They're good both offensively and defensively. And they're playing nine guys in the rotation right now. And everybody's contributing. It's an interesting team. I'm going to be curious to see where UConn goes this year. Yeah, as you said, everything's working out so far. They're also a big team. They're big down front from a standpoint, not only height, but just, just I guess you'd say, size. Of girth, uh, so they do move people around uh, pretty well, and I think that that helps them. Um, and obviously, this team has, and maybe he did it on purpose. Maybe he, you know, he got people, young men, who believe who he believes are committed to defense and committed to the way that he plays. So, you know, live and learn. But it, all the moves he made were the right moves so far. So we'll see how it goes. But he's off to an incredible start. First month of the season, it's pretty clear right now. Today, could. You- could change, that's for sure. But right now, they're the best team in the Big East so far. Oh, yeah, by far. I don't think there's any debate on that at all. I mean, as you say, look at the wins they put up from the standpoint of the big teams they've beaten and, and how they've beaten them. I mean, you know, beating Oklahoma State, beating Oregon, et cetera. Those are all incredible wins. And, you know, Creighton has struggled. I mean, Creighton recently has gone on a, a cold streak, to say the least, uh, from a standpoint on their three-point uh, shooting, which is – you know, really how they how they kind of live and die. And, you know, they were, before these last two games, they were shooting in the high 30s. Now they're down at 20%. And, you know, that, that, that changes how what, what, their, what their plan of attack is. UConn seems to have a little bit more diversified attack. Last year, the last two years, UConn lost in their first game in the NCAA tournament. So there's no question Hurley thought things had to change. He brought in different kind of players. We'll see if it works for an entire season. Another Big East team I want to touch on briefly is St. John's. They started the season 8-0. and St. John's fans were very excited on Twitter. But last night was their hardest game of the season. 
They had to play Iowa State. And Iowa State pretty much dominated. The score was 71-60, but that was a bigger win than you think. That They were up by 15-20 to 20 for almost the entire game, Iowa State. You know, and I do think this is the product of something you and I spoke about earlier today, is St. John's had an all-cupcake schedule. Uh, you know, they played Nebraska and Syracuse and Temple. But those teams are right around the 80s and 90s uh, in Ken Palm. These are not teams, you know, in the top 50. Uh, and they had a lot of easy games. And here they go out and have to play a really tough game on the road against Iowa State. And they got smoked. And St. John's is a very interesting team because they're 8-1 now. And they got a little bit revealed yesterday uh, by Iowa State. Frankly, as I called it, it was a coaching clinic. Uh, T.J. Otzelberger did a coaching clinic uh, on St. John's. The St. John's press was like it didn't even matter. They passed the ball out of the press for 40 minutes. Yeah, it goes back to what Coach Kennedy said, though. You, you, you as a coach, look at who's coming in and or what prospective team is going to be. And then you then you schedule to get into the NCAA tournament, particularly from a Power Five Six conference. Day, knowing that in the Big East you got to get the twenty one wins, and if you do, you're probably going to get in the you're probably going to get in the tournament. Most it's pretty much ninety nine percent. So I, I'll give Mike Anderson a little credit. Maybe he had done some things in the past where he wasn't pleased with the schedule. Maybe the fact that you bring in so many players and his system is complex to some extent that he decided to kind of you know back off a little bit on, you know, traveling and some schedules. And obviously he had some early success, but as you said, quickly exposed. But again, it's sometimes, as we know, you get to enough wins and then you get into the Big East and fight through it at a 500 range and finish, finish on a strong note, you get in. And I think that's what Mike is trying to, trying to do because he's had too many disappointing seasons over the last few years. All right. So TJ Altselberger, uh, the coach of, Iowa State is known as a defensive coach. Well, let me give you three numbers of what he did to St. John's yesterday with his defense. Ready for this, Kenny from Ryan? The -hmm. field goal percentage for St. John's yesterday was 36% from the field. Uh, The three-point shooting percentage was 19%, and St. John's had 20 turnovers. That is a dominant defensive performance for Iowa State. And which is interesting about that is everybody says, St. John's has got a top defense in the country. Well, not yesterday. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that jumps out at you that you talked about is the turnovers. And, you know, th- they have put together what was supposed to be a quote-unquote top backcourt. And we always know nowadays backcourts you know, win championships, they win, win games. So that, that is something that he's going to have to go, that Anderson's going to have to go back on and look at what, what the problem is there because that should not be the case with who they – have bringing up the ball, let's say. Um, the the, the three-point shooting, again, you know, you have to kind of look at it on a whole, you know, a bad night. I mean, they may not be a great three-point shooting team anyway, but it, it, when you're down in the teens uh, and the way the game is played these days, and I say that with Providence too, and we've seen it with Creighton, you have no chance. I mean, if you're shooting in the low teens in today's world against a top, on a, let's, say, let's call it a top 65 team, uh, you're not going to win. That's just a fact nowadays. Listen, modern-day basketball, they call it 3 and D. You need players that can play D and hit a three-pointer. And for the last few years, besides Julianne Chepenny, uh, St. John's didn't have good three-point shooters. It looks like that might be the case again this year. I'm just not sure anybody's winning anymore in the sport of college basketball if you don't have some guys that are hitting 35 to 45% of their three-pointers. 
Yeah, I mean, I would love to know <clears throat> with regards to like a service like NPOM, they could probably pull out that stat rather quickly of where, let's keep it to the top 100 teams, just for the sake of argument, where the top 100 teams come in on the win-loss record and how they shoot threes. And, and I got to think, as you were saying, in the new modern game of 3 and D, that those teams are probably shooting, the top teams are probably shooting in the high, high, high 20s, probably to 30, you know, to 33%. And again, this is just a quick analysis, and I've watched it through Providence. You've mentioned it uh, from St. John's. I saw it at Creighton. When you get down into the teams, you're not successful. You're, no, you're not going to win. No chance against the top team. You're not going to win. All right, so let's close with this. Uh, you think it's an interesting debate. I don't disagree with you about whether a team should schedule uh, mostly cupcakes in a non-conference schedule or tough games, like a Rick Pitino believes in scheduling tough games or some kind of combination. Look, I was told by Casey Stanley last year, uh, the assistant coach for Iona last year, that non-conference scheduling is an art form, and they work on it for like four months, and it's really hard to do. And really good mid-major teams have it even harder because nobody wants to play them. So it is hard sometimes to even get the schedule you want. The difference between Iona College scheduling out-of-conference teams and a, I'll use my team, Providence College, is night and day. Providence doesn't have a problem getting quality opponents out-of-conference. They have to manage how many they're going to do. Michigan State took on a schedule that I couldn't even believe, and it paid off. Others have not seen that case, and that has a lot to do with confidence with young men. So I would look at it dependent on the team itself and the conference they come from. I agree. And... and- you know, that team has got a lot of turnover. You might want some easier games to start. But it might, but you might not be able to schedule the games you want because it's hard. It's, a, it's an art form. You got it. All right, Kenny Barai, thank you for the call. Thanks, James. Good talking to you. Thank you. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. We'll be next back next Monday night at 8 o'clock. Bye-bye now. <laughs>